Thank you, Clay. Hey, good morning. Awesome. Happy New Year. It's good to see you all. Hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in Genesis 32. Genesis chapter 32, first book of the Bible, 32nd chapter. Easy to find, uh, hopefully. Uh, and as Clay said, my name is Hunter Gregg. I'm the student minister here at the Chelsea campus. Um, so normally on Wednesdays or Sundays, uh, if you hear any loud noises coming from that side of the building, it is either Ben in the kids' ministry or me in the student ministry. So, uh, but hey, I love being able to open up God's Word, talk about it, worship Jesus through talking about it, and uh, seeing what God has revealed to us through it. Uh, the Bible is, is weird, it is strange, it is wonderful, and it is okay to talk about it that way. Uh, and so, uh, man, as you guys are turning to Genesis 32, maybe one thing that you don't know about me, uh, when I was about seven or eight years old, I encountered uh, something revolutionary in my life uh, that most, not all, but most like seven or eight-year-old boys do, uh, I encountered wrestling, right? And I'm not talking about like the weird like spandex, and I'm talking about WCW, I'm talking about WWF, I'm talking about Rowdy Rowdy Piper, I'm talking about Sting, Hulk Hogan, I'm talking about The Big Show, Mankind, Stone Cold Steve Austin, my personal favorite, who now has a great acting career, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, uh, who was just known as The Rock before we actually called him by his name. Uh, but man, when I, was, uh, uh, when I was little, I loved it, absolutely loved it. Uh, and I had friends who had all of these action figures. And so, man, like when I would go to their house, we'd have like wrestling matches with the action figures. Um, and I even had video games, right? Like for N64, for PlayStation, right? Like I had the wrestling video games. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Not so much anymore because I've come to realize it is more theatrics uh, than actually real. So that was devastating for me as a child. But you might be asking, Hunter, why in the world are you telling us about wrestling? Thank you for asking that question. It's an easy segue. Uh, man, we're looking at wrestling this morning. We're going to be talking about wrestling, specifically in Genesis 32, where Jacob is wrestling. Um, and as probably your heading in your Bible just blows the lead, uh, man, Jacob wrestles with God. So we're going to be looking at wrestling this morning. Um, and specifically, as I said, in the life of this man named Jacob. Uh, now, got any Star Wars? Star Wars people, right? Okay, I saw one hand shoot up immediately. Very proud. Uh, but, so like in the beginning of Star Wars movie, right, you have the scroll that comes up, right? Sets the scene. It's this iconic scroll giving you the context, right? So we've got that, except it's in the form of Genesis 1 through 31. Uh, so we have to understand who this man named Jacob is. He's kind of a big deal. Uh, in the, in, in the storyline of the scriptures, right? And so Jacob, we encounter him first in Genesis chapter uh, 25, Genesis chapter 26 and 27, when he is about to be born, right? So his granddaddy is a, is a man named Abraham, right? Abraham, you know, like Father Abraham, many sons, many sons, right? I still remember it from being a kid. Uh, but Abraham, and uh, God came to this man named Abraham, and he said, hey, uh, look, man, through you and your wife, through your family, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so Abraham uh, and Sarah, they have a son named Isaac. Isaac meets his wife, Rebecca. They have twins. They have Jacob and Esau, right? And so this promise is being continued, being carried out through the lineage, through this family tree of Abraham. And it gets to his two grandsons, and we see God visit Isaac and Rebecca and tell them, hey, usually promises, usually blessings, usually inheritance goes to the older of the siblings, but not this time. It's, it's going to go through 
the younger. It's going through Jacob. God says that the, the older shall serve the younger. Esau shall be a servant to his brother Jacob. And so we get to Genesis chapter 27, uh, where we see that God has told us that this promise, this blessing, this inheritance is going to go through the line of Jacob. He doesn't really give us how it's going to, but we encounter how it actually does in Genesis 27, where Jacob, uh, he deceives, he cheats, he swindles his older brother out of his blessing. He steals it from him. He takes advantage of his father in his old age and his blindness, him and his mother both. Uh, and he receives this blessing, pretending to be the oldest son, Esau. Esau finds out he is justifiably angry and unjustifiably sets out to murder his brother. Um, and then Jacob bolts. Uh, and as Jacob cheats and deceives and swindles, uh, he's living up to his name. right? Jacob, when he is born, he's, he's, Esau is born first of the, of the two twins. Jacob is born next, and has, as Jacob enters the world, he's grasping on to his brother's heel, right? So the name Jacob literally means heel grabber, right? Real difficult, right? Uh, if we were named that, like, I'd be named something weird. Uh, but like really easy name, but that name can also be translated into deceiver, into thief, into swindler, into liar, into cheater. Right? And no better name encapsulates Jacob's life from this point forward. When he bolts and leaves uh, from his brother trying to kill him, we see in Genesis chapter 28 that he encounters uh, God. He encounters Yahweh, the God of his father, Abraham and Isaac, the God of the Bible, the God that we serve. He visits him in a vision and a dream. And from this point on, for the next 20 years, Jacob lives a life of cheating, of swindling, of lying, of deceiving having a very ambivalent, undecided, one-foot-in, one-foot-out attitude towards God, right? He, he understands that this, this promise, this blessing is supposed to come to him, and he wants all the benefits of that without, without actually serving God, right? And then we see in Genesis 29 and 30, Jacob gets married. Uh, thus starts the uh, original real housewives of Israel because he marries two sisters, and uh, it is not a good time. Um, he, uh, their father, his father-in-law, ironically enough, swindles the swindler, right? He, he deceives him, he swindles him, and so uh, he ends up marrying both of his father-in-law's daughters. Uh, and then, after a handful of years, he ends up swindling and deceiving his uncle, or uh, his father-in-law, rather. And, uh, man, he, he takes his grandchildren, he takes his possessions, he takes all of his stuff, and he bolts in the night, Right? After he has like worked the system to get the best of all the possessions of his father-in-laws. Father-in-law finds out, very angry. They come together. They make a peace treaty that basically says, I'm not going to hit you for doing what you did to me. Right? And so then we encounter Jacob in Genesis 31 and 32, working our way up to where we'll be this morning. Jacob thinks he's home free. He's out of there. He has strong-armed. He has deceived. He has swindled his way up to this point in his life, and he thinks, I'm good. I'm going to this land. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be great. I'm going to live and be fat and happy. It's going to be awesome. And he finds out that after 20 years, his estranged brother is a couple miles ahead of him, and he has 400 men. Not a welcoming party, but an army. And so Jacob, very justifiably so, freaks out. Uh, he splits his possessions, his family, into two camps, sends them both on their way thinking, you know, maybe if Esau only, gets one of, only kills and destroys one of those camps, I'll at least have half of my family instead of none of my family, right? 
So we get to Genesis chapter 32. That's where we are. Uh, and we will begin in, in chapter 32, verse 22. And it will be up on the screen for us as well. Genesis 32, verse 22. It says this. The same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then the man said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God or struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. And this is the word of the Lord to which we respond by saying, Thanks be to God. So Jacob has sent uh, the last part of his family, his, his wives, his children, his servants, across the river. He comes back, and he is by himself. He's alone. He's very much experiencing deep, great anxiety, more than likely insomnia, right? He's freaking out because he thinks that in the morning he's going to die. He's going to encounter his brother. He's going worst case scenario here, which I totally relate with. He thinks that all of his family is going to be killed. All of his possessions are going to be taken. And then ultimately, the exclamation point put on the end of that sentence is that his brother Esau will get his revenge and kill Jacob. And so he's alone. He's sitting alone in the night. And something just weird happens, right? In verse 24, it says, And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Jacob is suddenly attacked by this mystery man as he's sitting there contemplating potentially the last hours of his life until the sun comes up and he runs into his estranged brother. And just as a sidebar, I think it is safe to say that this is probably the first WrestleMania that ever took place, uh, the first possibly Royal Rumble that ever took place just so you know. Uh, But we see that he wrestles with this man, and not just like a five-minute match, not just like a 10-minute match. He didn't go 10 rounds. He went, they wrestled all night. All night. Right? It says they wrestled until the breaking of day. And Jacob is no spry, like, spring buck here. He's, uh, He's not like 21 anymore. Right? He's got some age on him. He, He has 11 children, at least, that we know about at this point which is a lot of children. I have eight nieces and nephews, and when they're all in the same, same room, it is, it is a time. It is a fun time. But he wrestles, right? Like, my man is strong. He's yoked. He was doing CrossFit before CrossFit was a thing, right? Like, he wrestles with this mystery man until the breaking of day, and it says, as we get into verse 25, when this mystery man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Like, you couldn't have done that, like, five minutes into the match? Like, I, I don't know, man. Like, would have saved you a lot of time. Would have saved you a lot of struggle. Like, maybe Jacob could have, like, gotten some sleep because he was so tired. I don't know. But we see that he just touches his hip and, bam, pops out of socket. 
right? Now, that word touches in the original language, it can be translated either touches or just like he smoked his hip, right? Like he just like uchi uchi his hip. I don't know. But like we just know that he touches his hip in some way, shape, or form, is popped out of socket, and in this one blow, Jacob is lost. This mystery man has won. And Jacob begins to wise up to potentially who this man may be, as we see in verse 26. Then this man said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Unless you bless me, right? Jacob understands that this promise, this blessing, this inheritance that he is supposed to receive is a promise, is a blessing from God. God alone. And so it's interesting that after he gets his hip smoked out of socket, that, and remember, right, like they're still locked together, arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder. They're very close, in close context, like in close contact with one another. Jacob will not let go of him even though he's got a busted up hip. He recognizes through potentially this supernatural feat of strength that his hip has just popped out of socket that this is no mere mortal man. And if it is no mere mortal man, then I don't know who it is potentially, but man, I'm not letting go of this person until I receive my blessing. Jacob, again, if he recognizes that this is actually God, he's trying to strong arm his way into his blessing again. He refuses to let go. you got to applaud the persistence of him, right? Like, he's big brain, he's 900 IQ, he's realized what has happened, he's not letting go of this man, right? And we see that this man, and again, like the heading in your Bible uh, above verse 22 probably says, Jacob wrestles with God, right? It blows the lead, right? But we, all throughout the Old Testament, quick Old Testament survey for us, uh, all throughout the Old Testament, you see a phrase which, interestingly enough, is not found in this passage. You see a phrase that is the angel of the Lord. Right? Anyone ever read their Old Testament? Right? Seen this phrase? Thank you, man. Uh, responsive. I love it. Um, we see this phrase, the angel of the Lord, all throughout the Old Testament, right? And it means a couple of things, right? One, it can mean that it is actually God Himself. We see this in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses sees a bush that is being burnt. When Moses sees a bush that is on fire but is not being consumed and burnt up by the fire. And this angel of the Lord begins to speak to him out of the bush. And we understand that it's not just a mere angel because this angel of the Lord says, I'm the God of your father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Right? So we see here that this is God himself in a form where Jacob, or Moses is not going to die from looking at him. Because later on in Exodus, we see that Moses begs God to, to see God face to face. And God says, brother, if you do that, you're dead. You can't look at me face to face in all of my glory and all of my splendor and all of my majesty. It will literally kill you. And so God has, has revealed himself in different times and different ways throughout the Old Testament. When we see this angel of the Lord, sometimes that is, that is God himself, right? In, in human form. We see this here as Jacob wrestles with God. It, it, it can also denote or it can also point out in the Old Testament that this angel of the Lord is literally an angel of the Lord, right? Uh, we see angels coming and visiting God's people. Uh, and, and lastly, in conclusion, sometimes we just don't know, 
right? And that's okay. Uh, but here it is very evident that Jacob is, has, has keyed in, has clued into, this is not a normal person wrestling with me. Uh, this person has been in the dark, has been hiding their face from me. I'm not able to see this person. And man, they just smoked my hip and, and something's happening. And I recognize that there's something different about this man. And I'm not letting go until he blesses me. He's trying to strong arm his way again into, into the blessing that God desires to give to him. That he does not have to earn. So we look into verse 27. 27 through 31 rounds out the story. And the man said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven or struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face. And yet my life has been delivered. Jacob, again, is wising up to who this man is, and he begs for him to reveal his name to him, right? And so in, in this particular time period, a couple thousand years ago, um, it was very odd for someone to be um, monotheistic, right, to worship one god. Uh, polytheism, the worship of many gods, was very, very common. Right? And you see this in the Old Testament especially, where you see that people have like these little small figures of different gods, plural, gods or goddesses, and like when they convert to and follow after the God of the Bible, they'll like bury them or they'll burn them. Right? Some of Jacob's family actually does that in Genesis chapter 35. Right? But polytheism, the worshiping of many gods, was very, very common. Uh, like we would be weird, right, in this context, because we worship one God. Uh, and so there were so many of these gods and goddesses, so many of these deities, that when you came to understand one of their names, it gave you power over them, right? Just like we know what Jacob's name is, and we know what it means. It means deceiver, it means thief, it means swindler, it means liar, it means cheater. Now I know a little more about who Jacob is, and I can manipulate him to really get whatever I want, right? I'll just make him feel bad for being a cheater and a swindler all his life, and just like guilt him into it, right? And so... Knowing the name of this deity gives you some sort of, that they believe, power over them. And we see Jacob again and again trying to strong arm his way and trying to overpower everyone in his path to get what he desires. But in verse 27, as Jacob realizes this man is God, and we realize that Jacob's actually wrestling with God, Jacob asks him, what is your name? Or the man asks him, what is your name? And Jacob looks at him and says, my name is Jacob. And in this moment, God causes Jacob. Remember, they're still in close quarters with each other. They're still locked up. Jacob is not letting him go. God causes Jacob to come face to face with who he has been his entire life. He says, what's your name? He says, my name's Jacob. My name's Heel Grabber. Right? My name is deceiver. My name is swindler. My name is thief. My name is liar. My name is cheater. He causes Jacob to look clearly into a mirror and to see potentially for the first time in his life who he actually is. And what is God's response? It is not shame. It is not disgrace. It is not push him away and run away from him and just disappear and leave Jacob on his own. God, in his kindness, in his mercy, 
intervenes and interjects himself into Jacob's life and story at this point after 20 plus years of being a cheater, of, of stealing, of being selfish and selfishly motivated, God says, nah, man, that's not who you are anymore. It was Jacob, but now it's Israel. And he says, Israel means one who has struggled with God and with man and has overcome. God says, that is not who I say you are anymore. Right? God had, God intervened in this man's life in a way that was only appropriate because there was no other way for Jacob to be changed unless God physically wrestled him to the ground. God was so bent on intervening in his life and saving Jacob from himself that he was willing to do whatever it took to show Jacob how much he loved him and how much he cared about him and how much Jacob needed to be saved from himself. He caused him to come face to face with who he had been and he changes his name. Uh, there's going to be a quote up on the screen. Uh, babe, can you throw that up there? Uh, hey, just for clarity, uh, my wife is running pro presenter. So just for clarity, right? I call her babe sometimes, so it's Hannah. She is, is my wife, just for clarity there. Uh, force of habit. Uh, there's, a, there's a quote on the screen by a very smart man named Derek Kidner in his commentary on the book of Genesis, and it really summarizes this encounter in a, in a handful of sentences. It's, it says, The conflict brought to a head the battling and fumbling of a lifetime. And Jacob's desperate embrace vividly expressed his ambivalent, his uncertain, his undecided attitude towards God. An attitude of love and hate. An attitude of defiance and dependence. Jacob is coming to understand that it was against God, not Esau his brother, not Laban his father-in-law, that he had been pitting or putting his strength against, as he now discovered. Yet the initiative had been God's, as it was this night, to humble Jacob's pride and challenge his stubbornness. The crippling and the naming show that God's ends were still the same. God's purpose in this was still the same as it is with all of his people. He would have all of Jacob's will, all of who Jacob was, his heart, his soul, everything, to attain, to get, and to obtain, to keep. Yet, purged of self-sufficiency and redirected to the proper object of man's love, God himself. It was defeat and victory in one. In God's kingdom, weakness is not weakness. Weakness is strength. In God's kingdom, as, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Right? Blessed are those who understand who they actually are. Blessed are those who understand who they are in light of God's holiness. Blessed are those who understand that they're swindlers, that they're cheaters, that they're sinful. Because that is the entryway into the kingdom of heaven. God, in his kindness, shows Jacob and calls him to the carpet and says, Brother, this is who you are, but this is not who I'm going to leave you to be. Why? Because he loved him too much to do this. Derek Kidner would go on to say that this name change to Israel 
one who struggles with God and has overcome, signifies more than just a new name. It signifies a change in Jacob's life. It is a mark of God's grace in his life, a wiping away of old disapproval. And this change was not earned or strong-armed by Jacob. This change, this name, this new identity, this new hope, this new future was given freely by God himself. This blessing, this promise that, that Jacob had been running after his entire life and trying to earn. Jesus echoes the father's words when he said, I just stand at the door and knock. I want to come in. I want to dine with you. I want to eat with you. I want to be with you. Brother, you don't got to do anything. I just want to give this to you. And it takes God wrestling Jacob to the ground and coming face to face with who he is to understand this. A man named Tim Mackey, some of you might be familiar with this name. He is one of the co-founders of this thing called the Bible Project. Uh, Tim Mackey, uh, he calls this story, although it is a very real, literal story, uh, because we see Jacob limping away because of a busted up hip after this encounter, he calls it a prophetic parable. A prophetic parable that anticipates the rest of the nation of Israel's long struggling with God. It's a, it's a, it's a mirror image, right? And just, just like some, another Old Testament survey, right? Uh, like Israel, Jacob, his name changed to Israel. He ends up having 12 sons, at least 12 sons. He has some daughters as well. These become the 12 tribes of Israel that make up the nation of Israel. Israel's a people, Right? Israel's not a place, it's a people. It's the nation of God, it's the people of God that we see here all throughout the Old Testament. It's God's people, and they bear this name. They bear the name that says, one who struggles with God and with men and has prevailed. That name is more than just wrestling with God and just like limp walking out of wherever you are. That name is a marker that signifies for the nation of Israel, and for you and for me, if you are a Christ follower, it signifies relationship. It signifies that God understands who you are and where you are at and where you come from and what you've done, and he still says, I want you to be my son, my daughter. It signifies relationship there between God and his people. That God is not far off, right? Like you don't wrestle someone from across the room, right? You're locked up with them face-to-face, -face, very close context. And this is a prophetic parable anticipating the rest of the nation of Israel, and yes, even us, that in times in our life we struggle and wrestle with God and with others, and yet we overcome, not by our own strong-arming, not by our own swindling, not by our own deceiving, but by God's grace and his grace alone found in Jesus Christ. God in this story was not after Jacob's heart, or excuse me, he was not after Jacob's actions, he was after his heart. God was not after behavior modification. He wasn't after, hey, don't do this anymore, go do that. He was after his heart, the central core of his being, because what you believe always affects how you behave. Your belief, the core, what, what you hold in your heart to be true will ultimately affect how you behave, and God knows this because he made us. And so he's not after his behavior, he's after his heart, because he knows a heart change changes everything. And so what do we do with this, right? What do we do with this strange and weird and wonderful passage found in Genesis 32? What do we do with this on this side of the cross, on this side of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and atonement and paying for our sins and ransoming his people back to himself? What do we do 
with this. You wrestle. You wrestle. You engage in gospel wrestling. You engage in gospel wrestling. And what does that look like? Right? What does gospel wrestling, what does this mean for my life? How, how does one do that? How do I do that, right? So just like a personal, personal account of wrestling with the Lord, um, I just want to be very clear, right, that like God doesn't just like afflict you because like you did something wrong. Let's just, let's just get that out in the open, right? Very clear, right? And the story that I'm about to share with you about myself, God did not afflict me with these things because I'd done something wrong. He just didn't, right? Let's be very clear. Let's be very clear about what the scriptures tell us. Over the past year and a half, we have all struggled because of, I mean, let's just, 2020 and 2021, right? Let's just be very clear about that. All of us have struggled with the past two years, and praise God for a new year. But over the past year and a half, like, personally, in my own life, like, I've really been struggling with deep anxiety and with deep depression, right? And this is not like, a, oh, no, Hunter, I'm so sorry. Like, it's not what this is for. But, like, in the middle of that, very high highs, very low lows, both extremes that I've experienced in the past year and a half of my life. And I have wrestled with God in prayer. I have wrestled with God in reading the scriptures. I have wrestled with God in not wanting to pray, not wanting to read the scriptures. I've wrestled with being angry at the Lord. I've wrestled with doubting who he is. I've wrestled with being skeptical about some of the things that he says. And God did not afflict me with depression or anxiety because he's a bully kid with a magnifying glass over an anthill, right? Like, that's not who God is. But in the middle of this circumstance in my life that God has seen fit to allow to happen to me, although he himself did not afflict me with this, I have wrestled with him. And I've uttered the same words that Jacob has where I, I will not let go unless you bless me. God, I, w- I want answers. I want to know why. I want to know why you won't take this away from me. I want to know why you won't make me happier. I want to know why this anxiety is crippling. And in some ways, it's gotten a lot better. And in some ways, it has not. That's not the point. The point is, I never would have known more about the character of God and the nature of who God is had I not wrestled with him through this. You and I go through so many seasons in our life, good, bad, and ugly, where God is inviting you in to relationship. And in that relationship, as as one who bears his name, as one who bears the name of Israel, it means you struggle, you wrestle with God. And not because God's a bully, not because he's a jerk, not because that's not who God is. The character of God, as we see in this story from, from Genesis, that God encounters, he interjects himself into the story of Jacob's life, for Jacob's good, because he loves Jacob. And this is the best thing for Jacob to have. And in my life, I never would have known the nearness of God had I not wrestled with him through depression. I never would have known how close and how kind God is to his people had I not wrestled with him through this season of my life. Wrestling is a good thing. It is a good thing because God is so committed to his promises that he will engage his people in any way possible, yes, even wrestling, to give them the gift of his blessing. 
He welcomes the swindlers. He welcomes the deceivers. He welcomes the cheaters, the liars, the doubters, the skeptics, the critics, those who have questions. He welcomes them all into relationship with him through the fulfillment of his gospel promise, new life, new identity, new hope, new future through Jesus the Messiah. Jesus is the yes and amen of all of God's promises. He is the fulfillment of God's promises. You want to see how good God is? We look to Jesus. You want to see all of his promises answered? We look to Jesus. You want to see his kindness, his love? You look to Jesus. You want to see that he'll do anything to engage and, inter- and just intersect in your life so you don't just like ruin yourself? Look to the cross that Jesus hung on. He'll do anything. Not because he's your adversary, though he seemed adversarial to Jacob, but because he loves his people. He loves you. He welcomes anyone, anyone from anywhere, anytime, any place, no matter who you are, where you come from, what you look like, what you've done. He welcomes you. Because look, there is relationship in wrestling. You're close in context. You're face-to-face. Probably smell each other's B.O., right? Like there's, there's closeness. There is this intimacy. There is a nearness with God in wrestling. And he invites you into it. He invites you into it. Again, if you're a follower of Jesus, you, you have been named as one of God's people, and you bear this name, Israel. And he welcomes anyone. And we see this very clearly in, in the letter, the epistle of 1 Timothy that Paul writes, you can turn there if you want to, it will be on the screen. But Paul shows us what gospel wrestling, what, what full acceptance looks like in 1 Timothy 1, verses 12 through 16. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer. Formerly I was a persecutor, Formerly, I was an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul talks about who he was, and then he talks about who he now is. Right? There was a moment there where he was wrestling with God, where Jesus very literally knocked him off of his horse on the road to a city called Damascus, where he was going to kill people who followed after Jesus. He blinds Paul, sends him to someone's house in this in this city of Damascus, and this person's freaking out because I know who this guy is, and he's like, I'm going to get killed. He, blind, he, he, he comes to Paul and wrestles him because that is what it took in Paul's life to open his eyes to see the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul, even in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6-10, through 10, he tells us that he's experienced the ups and downs, the highs and lows as an apostle, as one of God's sent ones to go and proclaim the gospel to the lost world. And he says, to keep me from becoming prideful, to keep me from becoming arrogant, man, God showed me how weak I was. 
God showed me that his strength is made perfect in my weakness. The gospel of Jesus Christ is most clearly on display when I understand who I actually am. That I'm weak and I'm busted up and I'm broken just like Jacob's hip was as he limped away from this place that he named Peniel that day. It means I've seen God face to face and yet I did not die. God encounters Jacob and spends the entire evening, the night with him and wrestles with him in the same way that he wants you and me to come to him and wrestle with him because in wrestling there is relationship. In wrestling it denotes this relationship with the Father. God desires to be in a relationship with you and me like he did with Jacob and desires to give you the blessing promise from the Old Testament that continues to now found in Jesus Christ. A new life, a new name, a new identity in Jesus no matter who you are or what you've done for the past 20 years of your life like Jacob. God says, I will do anything to let you see how much I love me or how much I love you, right? God's willing to do anything. And as cheesy as this may sound, gospel wrestling leads to gospel resting. You cannot spell wrestling without the word rest. It's cheesy, but just roll with it, right? This relationship, it includes wrestling. Not because God is your adversary. Not because God is a bully looking to pick a fight with his people. That's not who God is. He loves you and me too much to leave us, like Jacob, like Paul, where we are. He, he, he pulls us to come face to face with who we actually are, that we might look to him and live. That we might have a new name, a new identity, a new hope, a new future found in Jesus Christ. He loves you and I too much to leave us where we are, and he desires for you and for me to enter into gospel rest. To enter into resting in the gospel. What is the gospel, right? Who can do it for me over here? What's the gospel? Thank you. Yes, the, the gospel is a story of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We hammer that in with students because if they don't understand the gospel, then I, I need to find a new job. Um, but the gospel, this gospel rests, resting in the work that Christ has done for you and earned for you. You don't have to pay him for it. He did it for you, freely given we're not Jacob. We're not strong-arming our way into gospel rest by our own ability. God says, I just want to give this to you because I love you, and this is what is best for you. And he calls us to enter into gospel rest. And what does that look like? Number one, you believe in the gospel. You believe. You don't do things to become a Christ follower. You believe. And if it sounds too good to be true, good, because that's all the scriptures point us to. Believe upon Jesus Christ. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is, that God has raised him from the dead. And by this, Paul says in Romans 10, you will be saved. Believe in the gospel. Believe that God is who he says he is and that he has accomplished what he says he has accomplished. Just, just like, man, what if we actually just believe that the Bible is true, right? <laughs> believe. Not do, believe. Not believe plus, believe. Believe in the gospel. Live in the gospel. Live in gospel community. Yeah, Jacob had a big old family, but man, he was so selfishly motivated that he was alone. He was internally alone. He wasn't like physically alone. He had people all around him, all these little children running around, right? But inside, he was alone. He was by himself because everything was selfishly motivated. It was about himself. Live in gospel community. Be involved in your local congregation, in your local church. Be known. 
being known. You can be popular or you can be known, and you cannot be both of them. Choose to be known by trustworthy men and women who are followers of Jesus, where you can wrestle out different things that you're struggling with and come to with questions and come to with doubts and come to why you're being skeptical about things, right? Live in community, in gospel community with one another. And lastly, live out the gospel. Jacob walked away from there limping, probably for the rest of his life limping. That was a reminder of what God had done in his life, where he had physically wrestled with God, and yes, emotionally and spiritually wrestled with God, and he had prevailed, not because of his own work, but because of God. And because of that, he was a changed man. He lived his life in a different way. Live out the gospel. Grace and mercy has been given to you. Go and do likewise and give to others. Jesus says in the Gospel of John, chapters 13, 14, and 15, If you are my people, everyone will know you're my people by the way you love one another. That's what Jesus says. That's the marker of a follower of him. That's the marker of his people. Everyone will know who you are by the way you love one another. Go and live out the gospel and love people in such a way and and be kind in such a way and be just patient and long-suffering in such a way that it causes people to go, how do you do that? Because I can't be patient anymore because 2020 and 2021 have zapped me of all of my patience. Go and live in such a way. Treat others in such a way. Treat your spouse in such a way. And I'm speaking to myself when I say that as well. Treat your children in such a way. Treat your friends and your family in such a way that it causes you, whether through your deeds or through your words as well, that they are seeing the love of Christ. Believe in the gospel, live in the gospel, live out the gospel. Enter into gospel rest. Wrestle with God. It is good, it is healthy. God welcomes the wrestlers. He welcomes the doubters. He welcomes the skeptics. He even welcomes people who for the past 20 years of their life, like Jacob, have been running from him and have this one foot in, one foot out mentality towards God, just wanting to reap all the blessings without actually like following Jesus. God says, Okay, it's not okay to stay that way, but like I want to intervene in your life and show you who I am and my great love for you so that you might be eternally changed and be my people. God welcomes, as we sang a few moments ago, the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, but God's mercy is more. And so as we start our new year, man, I hope that you hear today that God loves you, that he is for his people. And if you are one of his people... You are in relationship with him, and he welcomes the wrestlers. He welcomes the deceivers. He welcomes the vilest, the weakest, the poor. He welcomes you into relationship no matter who you are, what you've done, where you come from, what you look like. He wants to give you a new name that you might enter into his family, be his people. And so as our worship team comes up, let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, we love you. And we are thankful as we see in Genesis, and as we see in 1 Timothy, and as we see all throughout the scriptures, that you are willing to do whatever it takes to intervene in the lives of your people so that they might understand who they are and see your kindness and your love and your mercy extended to us, and that we might be changed by you, not by our own strength, not by our own power, not by our own might, but by the gospel of Jesus, what Jesus has accomplished for us his life and his death and his resurrection, his ascension into the heavens, and that he will come back one day and make all things new. Father, help us to understand that no matter who we are, where we come from, 
You welcome us. No matter if we're wrestling or doubting, skeptical, critical, you welcome us. You want to wrestle with us. Father, help us to remember your kindness and your mercy. And we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.